This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Well, the song, uh, just as good the second time around. Thank you, Faith. One of those songs that kind of grows on you and gets better if you listen to it more than once. Well, thank you for the chance to be with you here, uh, folks, and uh, share with you God's Word. Um, you know, when we come into God's house, I, I think we, we come wanting to feed on God's Word and feed upon Jesus. Uh, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And he said that for a reason, you know. Uh, when Jesus says he's the bread of life, he means that uh, we should feed upon him. We should get our sustenance and our nourishment from him rather than the things of the world. Um, we need to feed on Jesus. And so what my job is to kind of uh, sort of set the table, uh, put the food out on the table, and let you feed on Jesus. And in order to do that, I would like to talk to you today about identity, um, who we are in Christ. Over the past, I don't know, 15 or 20 years or so, um, one of the issues that has sort of pressed its way to the forefront of the American psyche is just this whole idea of identity. Of course, we talk a lot about today identity politics. I'm not here to talk about identity politics. But I do want to talk to you about this idea of, you know, who am I? Why am I here? What's my purpose? What's God got for me? Um, who am I? in the eyes of God. Now this idea of identity has been addressed by people in a number of different ways down through the years. For some people, it's a matter of sort of lifestyle. Um, people form in their minds this image of what they want to become, and then they sort of find a lifestyle that helps reinforce this image of what they are. Uh, for instance, someone might see themselves as sort of the prototypical successful businessman and our businesswoman. Uh, these people find their identity and material success, uh, a lifetime of good cultural experiences, a challenging intellectual life, lots of interesting travel, a nice home, and the respect of the community. And then once you've kind of got that image in your mind of what you want to be, you, you make sure that your lifestyle undergirds that image. For others of you, it might be kind of what I call a, a sort of a niche identity or a niche performance. Um, for some of you, it might be horses. You know, you, you just love to raise horses. And uh, you love raising them and breeding them and showing them and selling them. And, you know, you're just really, really good at raising thoroughbred horses. For some of you, it might be fishing, and here I'm no expert, but let's talk about fly fishing. Someone once told me it's almost like a cult. Uh, you have to tie the perfect little insect and put it on that hook, and it's got to match uh, the timing of the trout and what they're feeding on when throughout the year, and uh, no one would be caught dead casting the wrong bait. It's just really that serious. Or it might be duck hunting. You know, maybe you're a duck hunter. That's who you are. I'm a duck hunter. Uh, Pinterest, ladies. 
Uh, how about being the model mom? Oh, I'm going to be a soccer mom. Um, and you know what? Soccer moms raise, right? Perfect kids. You know, they're just, they're perfect in every way. Um, Garrison Keeler once wrote about perfect parents and perfect kids in a perfect town in Minnesota. Wobegon. Anybody here been to Wobegon, Minnesota? Of course not. It's a fictitious town. (laughs) But we all know about Wobegon. And Keeler used to, in his radio broadcast, describe it this way. He said, Wobegon, where all the women are strong, all the men are good-looking, and all the children are above average. Now, for you politicians in the crowd, you know that that is impossible. <laughs> uh, other people find their identity in, in an ethnic group uh, or a political party, an orientation, a love for a particular hobby, an ideology, a nationality, a, an ethnic heritage. I spent many years in Wisconsin and Minnesota, and uh, up there, uh, pastoring uh, people, I just had to kind of fall in line and realize that I was ministering to Scandinavian people, uh, Swedes and Danes and Norwegians, and those people take great pride in their ethnic heritage. Now, for some people, identity is not a fixed thing. It's kind of fluid. It kind of changes. Uh, You know, you put on a different uh, identity almost every year. We see this, of course, with teenagers, right? Teenagers are great for trying on different identities. In fact, a teenager could put on a, a different identity just like you and I might put on a different set of clothing. So they might start out the school year identifying with the athletic crowd. That's kind of their garb. That's who they are. They are an athlete. And they identify with all the athletes. They dress like an athlete. They go to all the athletic competitions. They're probably on a team or two. And uh, they just talk the lingo, their language. That's who they are. They're an athlete. Well, after a while, that kind of gets old. And they kind of fall out of favor with uh, the athletic world. And so they think, uh, music. I am going to be a musician. In fact, I'm good at music. I'm going to join the choir. I'm going to join a band. And they sort of put on a new set of clothes. And that's who they are. I'm a music person. Well, after a while, they kind of get tired of that. And they think, no, I'm going to be a cool kid. I'm going to start hanging out with all the cool kids and talk the cool kid language and, and uh, just try to address and act like a cool person. That's who I am. I am cool. Well, after a while, that wears off too. But you know, anymore, identity and the struggle to find our identity is not just a teenage thing. I think it's more and more of an adult thing. We used to say, be true to yourself. Of course, the question is, who is myself? Who am I? And uh, people kind of struggle with that. But I think the biggest change that we have seen in recent years as we search for our identity is the idea that somehow we sort of choose what we want to become. We, We have control over everything. There are no givens. There are no uh, things that are given to us or handed us in life, but we just sort of make our identity as we go. It's kind of make it up as you go. And you can be anything you want to be, or so the thinking goes. 
But as Christians, we just instinctively know that this is not true. This just doesn't work. Uh, We cannot be anything we want to be. We were created by God in a specific way with specific sets of traits and talents and personalities. And we were created by God to be a certain person. And that's who we need to be. Our lives are not our own. You know, you did not cause yourself to be born. You had nothing to do with it. You had nothing to do with how, your, how God formed you in your mother's womb. You didn't choose what you were going to be or what skills you would have or what talents or personality or gifts or whatever. God gave you all of that. He made you. He, he is in control of this. Everything. He, he formed you physically and then later he, he forms you spiritually. Uh, he forms you, um, you know, uh, helps you grow as a Christian. He helps you eventually be glorified and go to heaven. It's all him, okay? God has got this. And uh, I think Job had it right uh, when he was talking to his friends, his so-called friends, who were trying to counsel him and work with him and trying to help him understand why all of this tragedy came on him. He finally took, t- turned to these guys, these advisors, and he says, Who among all these does not know that the hand of God has done this? It's like Job is saying, look, I'm not stupid. I know what happened here. Satan has attacked me, but he did it with the permission of God. In his hand, in the hand of God, is the uh, breath of every living being. Um, God has us all in the palm of his hand. So God is in control. God gives us the identity that he wants us to have. At a bare minimum, we would say this about our identity. Our identity is given to us and it's not chosen by us. It's just something that God gives you. And that is something to rejoice in. That's not something to be upset about. I mean, God made you the way he wants you to be. We are his children. We are his people. We are his sons. We are his daughters. This is who you are above all else. You are a Christian. You are in Christ. Jesus went so far to say this. I'm not going to call you servants anymore. I'm going to call you friends. Yeah. That's what Jesus said. Forget the servant stuff. You're my friend. That's who you are. Do you believe that? We are fellow heirs. Did you know that everything Jesus inherits in heaven, you do too? That's what the Bible says. Not making it up. Just telling you what the Bible says. We are fellow heirs with him. We're united with him. We're one with him. We are a city set on a hill. We are a light in a world of darkness. That's who you are. You are a disciple. You are a saint. You are a Christian. You are a believer. You are forgiven. You are on your way to heaven. That is your identity. It's given to you by God, and you should rejoice in it. You're a new creation. You are complete in Him. You are saved. You are sanctified. You are heaven-bound. We have significance and value and meaning and purpose in life, not because of what we do, but because of who we are. God really doesn't need your service, but he needs your heart. He needs your life. He he wants you to just rejoice in who he's made you and to have a relationship with you. 
We are the work of his hand. Now, of all the things I just mentioned here, there's one thing that's true of all of them. You didn't do any of that yourself. You did not cause yourself to be born. You did not create or your talents and your skills, your friendship with God, your inheritance, the fact that you're a saint, the fact that you are, you know, the apple of his eye. He has done this for us. He has saved us and he has made us what he wants us to be. Everything you have is a gift from God. The Apostle Paul once put it in the form of a question. He said, uh, what do you have that you didn't receive? And I can just hear some of these good, strong American men saying, I'll tell you what, I have worked hard for everything I've got. Okay, and then I would come back and say, but who gave you the ability to work hard? Well, I've got strong hands. Well, who gave you the strong hands? I'm determined. All right, who gave you the determination? I've got a strong mind and no one's going to tell me what to do. All right, who gave you that strong mind where no one's going to tell you what to do? God has made you who you are. And if you have any success in life at all, it is because God has given you the ability to be successful. Now, our primary identity is what I'm trying to say here is that we are, according to the New Testament, in Christ. That's kind of that sermon in a nutshell. We are in Christ. We're united to him. That is your primary identity as a Christian. Did you know that the Apostle Paul alone, in his writings, just the Apostle Apostle Paul alone, mentions that phrase, in Christ, 163 times. You are saved in Christ, you are sanctified in Christ, you are buried with Christ, you are raised with Christ, you live with Christ. You get the point here? You're in, that's who you are. You Forget everything else. If nothing else, you are a Christian. And that's something you need to rejoice in. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Uh, Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.10 We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1.4 You were chosen in Jesus before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. Romans 6.3, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ will also be raised with Christ or baptized into his death? And if you have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Jesus did not stay dead and you're not going to be staying dead either. You're going to be raised and have been raised in one sense spiritually already to new life And in the end times, you will be raised to heaven and to live with him forever. Colossians 1.27 says, The riches of the glory of this mystery is this, Christ in you. That's the mystery of the whole gospel. The whole thing, what all of history leads up to is the fact that we are somehow, in a way I don't understand, 
in Jesus. His life becomes our life. And in many ways, we kind of live out his life and things that happen to him are going to happen to us as well. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1.13, you were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth. Having believed, you were marked with a seal in him. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we are dead in transgressions. Ephesians 2.13, now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near. Colossians 3.4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. You're part of the plan. You're going to be there at the end times. When Jesus comes back, you're with him. You know, see, the whole Christian life is like watching a movie. You're reading through the book. Genesis to Revelation, it's God's story for the ages. And it's like you read through the scriptures and all of a sudden you're watching this movie and you suddenly realize, I'm in the movie! Holy, what? I'm part of the plan! I am part of God's plan. I'm in Jesus. I'm going to reign and rule with Him. I'm going to judge the nations. I am going to be glorious and majestic. There's going to be a realness, a a weightiness. That's what the word glory means, a realness, a, a weight. I'm going to be a real person, and I'm going to be glorious forever and ever and ever with Jesus. This is better than you imagine. The whole Christian life is far more wonderful than you can even grasp. And it is your basic identity. This is who you are more than anything else. Let me tell you the story about a man who really was identified with Jesus. He was identified with Jesus so much so that I got him killed. A man by the name of Stephen. Okay? This is a positive story, although it ends in his death and his immediate transfer to heaven. The name of the guy was Stephen. The book is Acts. And Stephen was a good guy. A really good guy, full of the Holy Spirit. He did lots of signs and wonders and miracles. And, uh, you know, when they had that squabble there in the early church about some people not getting fed, and, you know, the, uh, I think it was the Grecian uh, Jewish women were not being fed, and, well, squabble to, took place, and, the, and the, the apostles said, well, we don't have time to, to deal with this, this issue of distributing food. We've got to go out and preach, and we need to pray, and we need to win people to Christ. And, and so uh, let's choose some guys here to kind of uh, distribute the food here in our church within our church meals. Well, the guy that they chose, number one, was Stephen. Just a, just a good, all-around Christian guy. And um, so he was one of the guys that was chosen to distribute food. And well, he was also not only good with organizational matters and administrative things, but <clears throat> Stephen was also a good preacher. He loved to preach, and he loved to uh, win people to Christ. And... Uh, this kind of made some people there in Jerusalem mad. And uh, he got into a conflict one day with this synagogue of the freedmen. And uh, there was a guy from out of town visiting the synagogue of the freedmen, this guy by the name of Saul. He came from Tarsus. 
and uh, he was visiting uh, the, the synagogue of the freedmen uh, one time, and uh, this conflict arose with Stephen, and then they didn't like Stephen, and uh, uh, they, so they invented these stories to try to get him arrested, and they, what they're trying to do is get him killed. And um, so they accused him of blaspheming God and, I found this odd, blaspheming Moses. I didn't know you could blaspheme a human being, but anyway, they said, yeah, you're blaspheming Moses. So the crowd gets wound up and they hurl out a bunch of false accusations about Stephen and Stephen gets arrested and hauled into the Jewish Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin. And they said, okay, Buster, what's up with you? All these, are you blaspheming God? Of course he's not blaspheming God. This is total idiocy. Are you blaspheming God and Moses? Are you tearing down our traditions? And uh, uh, Stephen says, no, let me tell you the story of the Bible. He basically just runs through the whole Bible and uh, gives them the history of uh, the Old Testament. And uh, toward the end of his really long sermon, he says... You know, those Old Testament prophets, they were kind of stiff-necked and they rebelled against God and they killed the prophets. And uh, you know what? You're doing the same thing. You're no better. You are stiff-necked. Uh, stiff-necked. You are rebellious. You're not accepting the things of God. And that just drew, they just exploded. They went ballistic. And they hauled him out into the streets, down the, down the road, and they killed him. They stoned him. And there was a guy in the crowd there watching all this happen. And this guy was kind of going, yeah. Yeah, you want a few more rocks? Want a few more stones? It was that guy from Tarsus, Saul. And he applauded everything that happened. Saul didn't like Stephen. In Acts 6, 9, it says, uh, These men, they began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by which he spoke. You see, Saul didn't like that. He was a very, very intelligent man, an intellectual. He had been trained uh, in uh, the Jewish ways and was kind of the rising star in the Jewish system. He was brilliant. A Hebrew of Hebrews, a, a pedigreed uh, person who just was... Um, uh, an outstanding, outstanding Jewish intellectual. And it just bugged him that he couldn't match the wisdom of Stephen. And um, I think there was something else going on there with Saul. It's something that just bugged him about Stephen. Not only was it his intellect, not only was it his, uh, his background, but he saw something in Stephen that he didn't like. You know what he saw? Jesus. Acts 6.15 All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw his face was like the face of an angel. Stephen looked up into heaven and he saw Jesus standing next to God the Father. And of course Stephen knew it was over. He was about ready to die. But his face was aglow. And people who saw Stephen saw Jesus. Now that can be a good thing 
or it can be a dangerous thing. We often pray, oh Lord, just help people see Jesus in my life. Now, if it's another Christian seeing Jesus in your life, they like that. They like to see Jesus in your life. But if you come in contact with somebody who is under conviction, who is rebellious, who doesn't like God, and they sense Jesus in you, they don't like that. They don't like seeing Jesus in you. And that's what we get into in persecution, right? Instead of of Jesus, they hated him without a cause. Most persecution is irrational. Makes no sense. But there's a spiritual dynamic going on there. People can sense that you're a Christian. They don't like that. Because just your presence convicts them. Bugs the snot out of people. So just be aware that when people see Jesus in you, it might not be a pleasant experience. Okay. Um, But it's interesting that as Saul looked at uh, Stephen and saw his face aglow, um, he saw Jesus. Now, remember what the people had said, Stephen, he's blaspheming Moses. Seriously? Who had his face aglow after being with the Lord? He came down from the mountain, he had the Ten Commandments, and his face was aglow. Moses. Stephen was kind of a latter-day Moses in a sense. They both shone forth the glory of God. Persecution is irrational. It is weird. But my point here is that um, Stephen and Jesus were so united that by persecuting Stephen and murdering Stephen, you were really doing that to Jesus. I know that's the case because a few weeks later, a few days later, Paul got some documents together and some letters He wasn't satisfied with the death of Stephen. No, he wanted to kill more people. He wanted to arrest a bunch of Christians. He had heard that there was some Christians at this new cult, you know, Christianity. There were some Christians up in Damascus. I'm going to Damascus and I'm going to get those Christians. I'm going to round them up and I'm going to throw them in prison. So he's on his way to Damascus. He's going to arrest a bunch of Christians and put an end to Christianity once and for all. Well, on the way to Damascus, something happened. And this suddenly there appeared a light in the sky and a voice came out of this overwhelming, blinding light. And this voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul had no idea who it was. But I think he got the point. You kill Stephen, you kill me. Oneness. Who who was Stephen? A good speaker? Yes. Good organizer? Yeah. Good Christian guy. Fun to be around. Organized all the meals there in the church. Great preacher. 
But at heart, Stephen was in Jesus. He was in Christ. That was his identity. Well, we've been talking today a lot about how Paul used this idea of being in Christ so much. 163 times in his writings. But actually, it was not Paul who invented the notion of being in Christ or united to Christ. It was Jesus. One day, day to to prove the point, Jesus um, told a story about the future and about some Christians who die and go to heaven and they stand before the king, which would be Jesus, and uh, Jesus said this in Matthew 25, 34. Um, come, you who are blessed by my Father, come on into heaven, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Come on in, take it. Take your kingdom, take your inheritance. I was hungry and you fed me. Thank you. I was uh, thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Thank you. Um, I was a stranger and you invited me into your house. Um, I was in prison and you came to visit me. I was sick and you took care of me. And uh, these Christians are going, I don't remember Jesus ever being in El Dorado Springs. No. So the Christians kind of say, uh, well, we did a lot of those things you're talking about. Yeah, well, you're right. We did a lot of those things. And we thank you for your praise. We thank you for everything you're saying. But we didn't really do those things for you. We did them for uh, some of your people. And Jesus says, no, you did it for me. Anytime you do something to serve a Christian, a believer, you're doing it for Jesus. You cannot help it. You minister to a Christian and you're ministering to Jesus. And this brings us back to this idea that we, you can't separate a Christian from Jesus. You give a Christian some money, you give a Christian a drink of water, and you are giving it to Jesus. That's the way Jesus sees it. You give, you, you fix a flat tire for a Christian and, and it's like Jesus says, thanks, I appreciate that. You can't separate believers from Christ. And so that is our identity. That is who we are. To the degree to which you serve little, little insignificant Christians in Cedar County, you're serving Jesus. And that is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Let me just say by way of identity that you are not your job. You're not your performance. You're not your hobbies. Yeah, I know you like your hobbies. You know, but that's not who you are. You are not your bank account. You're not your Facebook profile. That is not you. You are not the pictures you post online. No, it's, you're not your fishing rod. You are not your political party. You're not your favorite politician. You know, every once in a while, a, a young politician will come along, a young guy, a gal, and you think, man, that's, boy, 
those people are really sharp, and they're really articulate, and boy, uh, I wonder if they can, I don't know, help the Christian cause or something like that. But no, we're, we're not our politics. We're not our political leaders. We're not our ethnic heritage. Uh, we're not our race. We are, at root, a Christian. We are in Christ. So find your identity in God alone. Um, resist that uh, temptation to let the world define you. The world will supply you with identity if you want, if you let them do it. The world will define you if you let them. Uh, they're more than willing to tell you how to live and what you need to be and what you need to buy and how you need to identify. Don't do that. Don't let somebody else tell you who you are. Let the scriptures inform you as to who you are. God has chosen to make you who you are. And, um, you know, don't, don't try to be somebody else. Um, you, know, you just think, oh, you know, I just love to have her wonderful personality. Oh, I wish, she, uh, you know, I had his skills and his talents and his background. And No, 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 no. Do not try to be somebody else. Because Psalm 139 says that God was actually in your mother's womb making you exactly what he wants you to be. Chromosome by chromosome, trait by trait, he made you to be what he wants you to be. So be a Christian. Be yourself. Um, one other quick point of application, just remember that, that your identity really kind of forms the basis of your happiness and, and you need to rejoice in who you are as a Christian. You need to keep falling back on the fact that, hey, God is with me. God created me. God has saved me. God is transforming me. I'm on my way to heaven. I just recently, 30 minutes ago, talked to my Sunday school class and I said, the main event hasn't started yet. Do you realize that? You ever been to a concert, you know, and there's this main headliner, some concert person, and they have these little warm-up groups, these, these the groups that they come on the stage and they'll sing a song and somebody else will sing a song. And You might finally turn to your husband and wife and say, when's the main event start? This is not the main event. This life is not we're not there yet. We have not started the real world yet. Do you understand that? There is, this is just the warm-up act. And when we go to heaven and we're with Jesus and we're in the new heavens and the new earth, that's when life really begins. And please don't get the idea that heaven's going to be a bunch of people sitting around on clouds, you know, strumming a harp. Get that out of your head. Jesus said this. Somebody came to him. He had, gave the guy five talents. I don't know. And this guy went out and made five more talents. And Jesus said, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm going to put you in charge of five cities. Now, to me, that speaks of a future, of a heaven, where you're not going to be sitting around on a cloud in charge of five cities in the new heaven and the new earth. 
that's the real world. And that's what we're looking forward to. That's where we're going. That's where our focus is. We are forward facing. We don't live in the past. Past is over. Learn from the past, live in the present, look forward to the future. It's okay to learn from the past. But I tell people in my counseling groups every day, don't live there. Learn. Yes, learn from the past. I get it. I get it. You need to learn from the past. Okay, I've got that. But just don't live there. Try to live in the present and look forward to the future. So many people I counsel with, they're missing life because they're living in a different world. They're living in the past. And I know counseling is complicated and it's hard to get... I'm not a counselor. I know counselors in the audience are thinking he doesn't know what he's talking about. I know. I don't know what I'm talking about. I just like to bring people out of the past and get them to live in the present and to look forward to the future. Okay. Um, Happiness in this world is identifying with Jesus, enjoying your identity, and feeding upon him. Um, Author C.S. Lewis once said this. If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Isn't that great? There's going to be things in your life that you want that you're never going to get. There's going to be things, desires, um, wants that you have that this world is not designed to provide. Don't look at the world and the internet and your cell phone to provide you something that only God can provide. Don't look at your career and your friends and all of your activities to provide something that they cannot provide. There's a part of you that will never be satisfied on this side of eternity. Because you weren't made for this world. This is not your home. You know, you ever kind of feel out of place? Sometimes I do in conversations or in the business. And, the, you know, I just kind of sometimes feel like, man, I just don't really fit in here. And it's like God says, you're not supposed to fit in here. You're not supposed to feel at home. You're not there yet. But you are in Christ. That's who you are. It's not where you live. You ever thought about this? You would be a Christian regardless of where you lived. If suddenly God moved you to France, South Africa, Indonesia, you'd still be a Christian, right? Your identity is not based upon your geography. It's not based upon your job. It's not based upon your performance. It's not based upon your income or any of these things. Your identity is that you are and always will be in Jesus. You know, isn't that wonderful? I am so excited about being a Christian. I just, I love the Lord and I love being in Christ. I know he has a plan for me and he's working out his plan. And uh, I just want to give him all the honor and the glory and the praise. 
Thank you for coming, everybody. Let's, uh, let's close with a word of prayer, okay? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the chance to talk to people earlier than in Sunday school and now uh, in this second service about being in you. We thank you, Lord, for um, saving us and placing us in Jesus and making that our, real, our true identity in life. Uh, we're thankful and we love you and uh, we praise you and uh, ask all of these things and pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, everybody. Have a great week, okay? You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.